On Sunday mornings, we are looking to the book of Proverbs, God's book of practical wisdom. We're calling this series of sermons, Wisdom for Human Flourishing. And uh, we have discovered that there's much here for us in many facets of our lives as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ to enable us to embrace the wisdom of God given under the inspiration of the Spirit of God in this book. And so today we come to Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30, as we think about the wisdom and the way of a soul winner. The wisdom and way of a soul winner. Now, we believe in evangelism here. We seek to proclaim the gospel, not only from the pulpit, but uh, throughout the community, person to person, one soul to another. And God is blessing our gospel witness. Uh, the baptism that we just witnessed is the 16th Sunday in a row that we've had someone, one or more persons, to baptize. Now, that is remarkable. Are you aware that some churches go weeks and weeks without baptizing a single soul? And some go for months on end without baptizing a single soul? And tragically, some go for years without seeing someone enter the waters of baptism to profess faith in Christ. So we ought never to take for granted the favor of God upon Lakeview Church. And yet as we gather in this worship center this morning, there are literally thousands upon thousands of our fellow citizens in Auburn and thousands more in Opelika, our sister city, who are not in anybody's church this morning. And they're not in this church or any other church, not because of COVID. Uh, they're there because they don't know the Lord. And they have no compelling desire to gather at the Lord's house on the Lord's day to sing his praise, to hear his word proclaimed, and to fellowship with brothers and sisters in the family of God. Therefore, it's incumbent upon us to look to the scriptures to see what our response should be to these multitudes of our citizens, fellow citizens who do not know Christ. We begin today in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30, and as we have done on other occasions in Proverbs, we have to go to other portions of the scriptures to put all this together. But as we think today about the wisdom and the way of a soul winner, I want you to see with me these words in verse 30 of chapter 11. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. This morning I want you to think with me, first of all, about the wisdom of a soul winner, and then second, about the way of a soul winner. But let's think now about the wisdom of a soul winner. Look at it again, verse 30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. Who said that? Solomon. Now, we know he said it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but we also know that Solomon was the wisest man 
of antiquity. And this wisest of men said, he who wins souls is wise. A soul winner is wiser than a philosopher if that philosopher does not seek to lead people to saving faith in Christ. A soul winner is wiser than a scientist if that scientist does not seek to win sinners to faith in Jesus Christ. A soul winner is wiser than a statesman if that soul winner does not seek to win sinners to faith in Jesus Christ. Furthermore, a soul winner is wiser than the most orthodox theologian if that orthodox theologian is not seeking to lead sinners to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to give you three reasons why he who seeks to win souls is wise. In order to do this, we've got to go elsewhere in the Bible. So first of all, let's go to Daniel chapter 12, Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. Here's the first reason. A soul winner is wise because he leads others to righteousness. A soul winner is wise because he seeks to lead others to righteousness. We see this in the last chapter of the prophecy of Daniel, chapter verse 3. There we read, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So we see here that a person who seeks to lead others to righteousness is a wise person. And in the firmament of God shines like the stars in the in the night sky. Now we have to ask ourselves this question. Where is righteousness found? It is found in one place. It is found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us are sinful and guilty. None of us is able to make himself right with God. But Jesus Christ perfectly kept the law of God during the days of his earthly life and ministry. He alone is the righteous one, tempted but never yielding to temptation. And so righteousness is the gift of God, which is bestowed upon all who repent of their sins and put their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so a soul winner is a person who points people to Jesus Christ, the righteous one, urging them to trust Christ as their Savior. And when they trust Christ as their Savior, they are given the righteousness of Jesus. It is imputed to them. They become as righteous in their position as Jesus himself is righteous. And a soul winner is wise because he leads others to put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Such people invest their time and their energy in that which is eternal, which is the word of God and the souls of men. Hippolytus was a third century AD Old Testament scholar. This is what he said about Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30. The fruit of righteousness and the tree of life is Christ. He alone as man fulfilled all righteousness and with his own life he has brought forth the fruits of knowledge and virtue like a tree 
whereof they that shall eat receive eternal life and shall enjoy the tree of life in paradise. And so a soul winner is wise because he seeks to lead lost sinners to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you a second reason why a soul winner is wise. Found in Matthew chapter 16, verse 26. A soul winner is wise because a soul winner understands the value of the human soul. He has a, an eternal perspective that gives him the ability to see and understand the value of the human soul. We see in Matthew chapter 16, the Lord Jesus Christ uh, speaking to his disciples. And I'll just take this one verse here. Verse 26, Jesus asked two questions that demand answers. Number one, verse 26, what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Now, those are penetrating questions. And uh, we need to answer them. I mean, Jesus is simply saying, if you gain the whole world, all the fame and fortune and popularity that, that a person could aspire to, and yet you forfeit your own soul, then you have experienced eternal loss. Now, a soul winner is wise because a soul winner knows the value of the human soul. He knows that heaven and hell hang in the balance. Everybody that we, that we cross paths with is either headed for heaven or hell, every single one. And a soul winner has that, that kind of eternal perspective as he goes about his daily routine. That doesn't mean he shares the gospel with everybody, but it just means he's cognizant of that. Uh, and, and so we see here the value of the human soul. 19th century preacher Phillips Brooks was recovering for an, from an illness and because he didn't feel well, he denied all visitors who desired to see him. But the famed agnostic Robert Ingersoll called and asked to, to see him and Brooks received him at once. And when Ingersoll showed up in his Brooks's sick room, Ingersoll said, I appreciate this very much, but why do you see me when you deny yourself to your friends? And Phillips Brooks said, well, you see, I feel confident of seeing my friends in the next world, but this may be my last chance of seeing you. Phillips Brooks was a wise man because he understood the value of a human soul. A soul winner is wise because a soul winner leads others to righteousness. A soul winner is wise because a soul winner understands the value of a human soul. And third, a soul winner is wise because a soul winner has a sense of urgency in sharing the gospel. We see this in John chapter 4, verses 34 and 35. Find John's gospel. Uh, chapter 4, just two verses here, verses 34. And 35, the account in chapter 4 is Jesus making his way north to Galilee. 
And he did the unthinkable. He, brought, he took the disciples with him through Samaria. Jews didn't traverse Samaria. And uh, they, in the middle of the day, they come to Sychar. And uh, Jesus, they come to the well outside the city there. And Jesus sends the twelve in to, to, to procure some food. And Jesus is sitting there. And a Samaritan woman comes and sits down. And Jesus engages her in conversation. It's a fascinating narrative here in John chapter 4 and eventually she puts her faith and trust in him and she bears testimony to the whole city of Sychar about this Jesus who has forgiven her and made her new. So while Jesus is talking to this woman, the disciples are buying food, they come back and they are surprised and amazed that Jesus uh, does not want to eat. They said, take something to eat. And then look in verse 34. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Verse 35. Do you not say four months more than the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. At this time uh, of, their, of their being apprenticed by the Lord Jesus Christ, the disciples were clueless. Now, they would receive the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and they would be radically transformed. But they're thinking about nourishing their own stomachs and Jesus is talking about the bread of life. Of course, he is the bread of life. And he saw this, this woman, uh, this Samaritan woman, as a person who was, who was ready to repent and believe and be saved. There was a sense of urgency here. He said... My food, the thing that, that matters most to me is to do the will of him who sent me, which is to bear witness to the saving gospel. Uh, Jesus said, don't wait four more months and then gather the harvest. He said, I tell you, open your eyes. The fields are ripe for harvest. Jesus said that there are people here that are ripe for harvest. And if you look down in verse 42, they said to the woman when the Samaritans came out, we no longer believe just because of what you have said, but now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the Son of God. So many came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ through her witness. Jesus had a sense of urgency. This was the moment that I need to bear witness uh, to salvation. Now, a, wise, a soul winner is wise because he lives with a sense of urgency. He, he knows that no one has the promise of tomorrow. So th there are three reasons uh, that, uh, that make a soul winner a wise person. Uh, a soul winner leads others to righteousness. A soul winner understands the value of the human soul. And a soul winner has a sense of urgency. Uh, time is passing. No one of us has the promise of another sunrise. People are slipping into eternity, a Christless eternity, day after day after day. And we have some good news to proclaim. So, that's the, the wisdom of a soul winner, Proverbs 11:30. He who wins souls is wise. Are you a wise person? Number two, I want to talk to you about the way of a soul winner. And here we need to go to Psalm 126 verses 5 and 6. Let's go back to the Old Testament, uh, to the book of Psalms. 
Let's look in uh, the 126th Psalm, verses 5 and 6. How is a soul winner to go about this ministry of bearing witness to the gospel? Well, we have the answer right here in these two verses. Psalm 126, verses 5 and 6. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. Now, the psalmist here is using an agricultural metaphor, if you please, to explain, to, to clarify what it means to bear witness to the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me give you uh, how we go about seeking to bear witness to the gospel. Number one, going. Look in verse six. He who goes out, he who goes out. If you and I are going to lead sinners to put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we must go. Someone who wants uh, to see others save will go out looking for someone to bear witness to. This is like the Lord Jesus, is it not? In Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, Jesus said, The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Why did Jesus leave all the splendor of heaven and take on flesh and come and live among us? Well, he tells us to seek and save that which is lost. And Jesus commanded us who are his followers to do the same. Matthew 28, 19, Great Commission, Jesus said, Therefore, go and make disciples. Now, oftentimes we use that word discipleship as filling in blanks in a, in a book somewhere. That's fine. I'm not opposed to that. But in this context, when Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples, the disciple making is evangelizing them, calling them to repentance and faith. And then after they've come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then Jesus said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now, if you're not a Christian, you, you can't obey the commands of God because you're at the mercy of Satan. But if you, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God lives within you, you have the supernatural power of the Lord Jesus Christ within you. And then you can learn the ways of God, the commands of God, and obey the commands of God. But first, you must become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, this is how you make disciples. He said, you must go. Now, you can't spell God without G-O-Go. You can't spell gospel without G-O-S-P-E-L. First two letters, Go. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is to be an army of personal evangelists who, who go out day by day gossiping the gospel in the normal traffic patterns of life, seeking to bear witness to the saving power of Jesus Christ. You want to be a soul winner? It begins with going. Number two, sowing. Look in verse 6. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow. We must sow the gospel seed. Now we read in Luke's gospel, chapter 8, where Jesus gave the, the parable of the soils. Jesus said a certain man went out to sow, and some of the seed did he, 
that he cast fell on rocky soil and some fell on soil that was choked out by the, by the briars and the weeds, but some fell on good soil. And then Jesus said, and the seed is the word of God. So what do we proclaim when we seek to lead others to saving faith in Jesus Christ? We proclaim the word of God. Jesus is the word of God in human flesh. And so when we go, we, we talk about Jesus. And we point them to the Holy Scriptures. Paul said to the church in Rome, faith comes by hearing and hearing comes through hearing the word of God. The power to transform a dead sinner into a live follower of the Lord Jesus Christ is found in the word of God. We sow this gospel seed. We speak of Jesus, the word of God in human flesh. Horatius Bonner said, and I quote, it is not opinions that man needs, it is truth. It is not theology. It is God. It is not religion. It is Christ. It is not literature and science, but the knowledge of the free love of God in the gift of his only begotten son. And you and I have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ he is the wisdom of God incarnate in human flesh. And so we seek to sow this gospel seed about the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's going. There's sowing. Then third, there is weeping. Look in verse 5. Psalm 126, verse 5. Those who sow in tears. See that phrase, sow in tears? Effective soul winners are broken-hearted for lost sinners. They are grieved that they have relatives and friends who are lost and headed to a Christless eternity. The prophet Jeremiah said, Oh, that my head were a spring of water, and my eyes a fountain of tears. I would weep day and night for the slain of my people. Oh, I confess to you, I, I've had very little experiences like that in my years of walking with Jesus. The Apostle Paul said to the church in Rome, Romans chapter 9, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. There's a man who was brokenhearted over the, the spiritual welfare of his fellow Jewish people. A man willing to say, I'd give up my own salvation if it were possible if it would bring them to salvation. But not just Jeremiah, and not just Paul, but Jesus. In Luke's Gospel, Gospel chapter 19, we read that 
as Jesus approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it. His heart was broken. He said, I, how I wanted to gather you together as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her arms, but you would not come. An effective soul winner is a brokenhearted person over the souls of men and women who do not know Christ. God give us such a burden. How we need that. We are content to see one or two persons baptized every Sunday when there are multitudes in our city who need the gospel. We have this good news. Going, sowing, weeping. Next, number four, reaping. Here's the promise of reaping. Look in uh, verse 6. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. We, we reap what we sow. We reap more than we sow. We reap later than we sow. But we always reap what we sow, whether to the flesh, which is destruction, or to the spirit, which is life. And it's true in this matter of soul winning. And those who lead the most people to Christ are those who share the gospel most often. But the promise is, if we sow, we shall reap. Look at it again. Carrying sheaves with him. As we go and sow and weep over the lost condition of men and women without Christ, the promise of Scripture is that some will be saved and we shall gather a spiritual harvest. But not just going and sowing and weeping and reaping, but number five, rejoicing. Look again at Psalm 126, verse Five, those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. <laughs> Have you ever had the privilege to lead somebody to Christ? It's a special joy. It's unlike any other. I've had the privilege to lead a number of people to the Lord. Not nearly as many as I should have. I confess to you. But I remember the first time I led somebody to Jesus. He was joyful. And I think I was equally joyful that the Lord used me. I was just a teenager. Jesus talked about this in Luke chapter 15. I want you to find Luke chapter 15, verses 3 through 7. Luke 15, verses 3 through 7. One of the great chapters in all of the Bible is Luke chapter 15. It is the, the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Three great parables. Yet reveal to us the, the heart of God for that which is lost to be found. Let's look in chapter 15, verse 3. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. 
whenever a 10-year-old boy or girl comes to saving faith in Christ, there's joy in heaven. There's as much joy in heaven for a child coming to faith in Christ as for an elderly person on his or her deathbed coming to faith in Christ. The angels in heaven rejoice when sinners come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the promise of Psalm 126 verse 5 is, they will reap with songs of joy. So there it is. The way of a soul winner, going, sowing, weeping, reaping, rejoicing. Now God can use us in ways that we may never have imagined. I know that evangelism is a gift that God gives to certain members of the body of Christ, not a gift that I have. But I know a number of people in this church that I think do have that gift. They're very effective. But whether we have the spiritual gift or not, we all have the clear command of Jesus to bear witness to the gospel. Jesus said before he ascended back to heaven, the very last thing Jesus said was, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. One of the most uh, effective personal witnesses I ever knew was Roy Fish, now with the Lord. Dr. Fish was my evangelism professor. I took, I think, every class he offered. It was a number of classes, so many electives in evangelism that I took with Roy Fish. And on one occasion at the Southern Baptist Pastors Conference many years ago, he told this account of Francis Dixon and Mr. Jenner. I shared it maybe 30 years ago in the Lakeview pulpit. It bears repeating again today. One of the great Baptist preachers in England was a man by the name of Francis Dixon. Francis Dixon had a young man in his church whose name was Peter. And Peter was asked to share his testimony of how he became a Christian. He started out like this. I was in the Royal Navy. I was walking down George Street in Sydney, Australia, when out of nowhere came a little old white-haired man, and he said to me, Excuse me, sir, but I'd like to ask you a question. If you were to die today, where would you be in eternity? The Bible says it'll either be hell or heaven, one of the two. Think about it, would you please? That's all, sir. God bless you, and doodle-doo. Peter said, well, I never had a question asked to me like that before. And when I came back to England, the first thing I did was to seek out a pastor, and I was converted to Christ. They had what we call a revival meeting in the church of Francis Dixon. They had a half dozen or so people on the team, and one of those was a young man named Noel. And Noel was asked to give his testimony. And Noel said, here's the way I was saved. I was in the Royal Navy and I was stationed in Sydney, Australia. And I was walking down George Street in Sydney one day when out of nowhere came a little old white-haired man. He said to me, excuse me, sir, but I'd like to ask you a question. I hope it won't offend you, but tell me, if you were to die today, 
Where would you be in eternity? The Bible says it'll either be heaven or it'll be hell. Well, Francis Dixon was so moved by this that when he was on a world tour speaking in Australia, he preached in a Baptist church in the city of Adelaide, and he told the story about these two men. And while he was speaking, a man stood. He said, Sir, I'm another. I was walking down George Street in Sydney, and out of nowhere came a little old white-haired man, and that's the way I came to Christ. And from the city of Adelaide, the pastor went out of his way, all, went all across Australia to the western city of Perfta, and he shared this story again. And when the service was over, a deacon came up and said, Sir, I'm another. I was walking down George Street in Sydney, Australia. He went back and was so impressed by what had happened, he shared it with his church. And when it was over, a young lady came up and said, Sir, I'm another. I was walking down George Street in Sydney, Australia, when out of nowhere came a little old white-haired man. Not long after that, Francis Dixon was asked to speak at the Keswick Conference in Northern England where people gathered to hear what Christ can do in the deeper life and he was sharing what had happened. And when it was over, another man came and said, Sir, I'm another. I was walking down George Street in Sydney, Australia and out of nowhere came a little old white-haired man. Dixon made another world tour and he was in India speaking to missionaries and they said, would you address us on the theme of personal evangelism? He told the story of the little old white-haired man, and when it was over, a woman missionary came to him and said, Sir, I'm another. I was walking down George Street in Sydney, and it was the same story. Later, he was in Jamaica, and he shared this story, and again, another man said, I'm another. Well, Francis Dixon made one more trip to Australia. Dixon said, I want to see that little old man. So he asked a Christian friend, do you know a little old man who used to stand down on George Street and ask people this question? If you were to die today, where would you be in eternity? Oh, sure, the fellow said, he's Mr. Jenner. All of us know him. He's quite feeble now. He doesn't get out on the streets any longer. He doesn't see well. Dixon said, could you take me to his house? Sure. So they went to the house of the little old man, and Francis Dixon walked in, introduced himself, and told this little old man how many people had come to Christ through his witness on the George Street. And the little old man broke down and wept and said, Sir, this is the first time in my life I've ever known of anybody coming to Christ through my witness. We have no idea the power of our witness for Christ, whether verbal or written. Can you imagine how different our fair city, our lovely village of the plains would be if all of us would share the gospel at least once a week to somebody? Just once a week. Amazing. And so my prayer is that you will do that. You say, I don't know how. Did you catch the announcement earlier about the multiply groups? If you want to learn how, sign up for a multiply group. And in 10 weeks' time, you'll be more than equipped. But even if you don't be a part of a multiply group, we can't accommodate everybody. You can give a gospel track. 
I hold in my hands a gospel tract that I wrote entitled Christianity 101. I wrote it specifically for Auburn University students. When we're done today, I'd like every one of you to get it, one of these and give it to somebody this week. A waitress, a waiter, a cashier, a friend, a colleague at work, somebody. They're in the lobby there, on the counter there, the counter there at the track racks back there. He who wins souls is wise. How many wise people are at Lakeview? God knows. A lot of PhDs here. I got a lot of school housing myself. That's not what makes you wise. It may make you knowledgeable, but not wise. Now I'm looking at Ann Dodge, and I meant to call you, Ann, to ask you about your dad. My memory is he only went through the 10th grade. Is that right? Can you nod at me? Do you remember? That's my memory. Mr. Pate was a charter member of Lakeview. Never finished high school. He was a wise man because he was a soul winner. That's where wisdom's found because you understand eternity. This world is passing away and all of us are going to be in heaven or hell. And those of us who have the good news have the clear command of Jesus to proclaim this good news far and wide. May God give us the grace to step it up. The pandemic is almost behind us. We can come out of our homes. We're back in the marketplace. We're back in the classrooms. Let's come back full of the Spirit of God, declaring Jesus saves. Let's not just sing it here in this room, but let's declare it. Monday through Saturday, a Savior has come. It was Jesus Christ, the Lord. God, our Father, take these feeble words of mine, God, and stir our hearts, stir this pastor's heart with a new zeal to declare the gospel. People are perishing all around us, and we have the message of salvation and hope. God, I pray that the, the days and weeks and months and years to come at Lakeview will be characterized by such an intense, holy, passionate zeal for the gospel of Jesus like none we have ever known, and that many of our friends and family members and work associates and people we come in contact with who are now in the bondage of the adversary and darkness will be set free by the power of Jesus. May it be so, God, for their eternal salvation and for your glory. We ask in your holy name, Lord Jesus. Amen.